Well, people of God, we look together in the word of our Lord in this morning in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Uh, we'll read verses 37 through 39. John 7, 37 through 39. People of God, hear the glorious good news of the work and person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. People of God, those words from God's Word. If I were to say to you, do you know what? December 25 is, do you know what July 4 is? Uh, You would all have an immediate context for that. You would think July 4 and you would have a history of our nation. You would know. Well, without a doubt, on the last day, the great day of the feast, that phrase... Uh, everybody would know what day that was referring to. Normally, on this day, which we think of as Pentecost, we're referring to 50 days after the Passover. And it's a feast. It's one of the three solemn feasts. The Passover, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the three major feasts that all of Israel were to gather in Jerusalem for those feast days. And of course, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was where the Holy Spirit is poured out. And so we take the word Pentecost, that's a reference to an Old Testament feast, 50 days after the Uh, the Passover, and that's when God poured out His Spirit on that Sunday. But the Feast of Tabernacles, which actually takes place five days after the Day of Atonement, following a pattern of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost, Uh, where you have a remembrance of what God has done to deliver out of Egypt, but all a shadow of the work and death of Jesus Christ and the Day of Atonement right before the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Day of Atonement, pointing out, of course, that one great sacrifice of Christ that would be given 
that would free God's people who would then live as strangers and foreigners in this world until the second coming and the new heavens and the new earth. These are broad themes in Scripture and patterns. And these feasts have similar pattern. This Feast of Tabernacle, which is the feast that is before us in John chapter 7. It is a feast of remembering that they were taken out of Egypt, that they lived in in booths or tabernacles or tents, like the Lord's house was at that point a tabernacle, and that they wandered until they were brought to the land. But they're still wandering. They're still pilgrims, as it were, waiting for the Messiah waiting for that one who would come. And so this is the feast that Jesus is at, and he proclaims he is the one who is uh, that, the giver of, ultimately, the Holy Spirit. And so at this feast, which is six months after Passover, they both are like, the, they split the year, they're half a year later, it's... Uh, almost exactly six months after the Passover that you have and, and the, Feast of Taber, uh, the Feast of Weeks, that you have this Feast of the Tabernacle, and they come together to celebrate what God has done. It's on this occasion that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a promise that's consistent with Old Testament. We'll see that in a couple of different places and so this, this promise comes in this critical moment of this joyous feast right after the Day of Atonement and Jesus comes and he prophesies about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is a critical time. It is not just a critical time in the life of the in the life of the uh, of the people of God as this is uh, the the feast uh, that the people have gathered together. It's a feast of tabernacle. It's a, it's a feast that's tied, as the other major feasts are, uh, many, some of them, to uh, a feast of celebrating a harvest. And the harvest time is done at this point. Uh, it's the feast of uh, rejoicing in uh, the feast of uh, weeks, uh, was the, the feast of celebrating the first fruits of the wheat harvest. This is the first fruits of the, uh, the olive and the grape harvest. So it's a different kind, but it's that same kind of pattern. Uh, there's first fruits here as well. It's a first fruit and it's a celebration. It's kind of like the end of the harvest seasons. Barley, wheat, and grape and uh, uh, date, these are the feasts that are now ending uh, with, the, with the corresponding to the, to the agricultural year as well. So it's this critical time. But it's also, in the Gospel of John, six months before the death of Christ. So even though it's John chapter 7, uh, John has the last six months of the life of Jesus Christ as the particular focus of the Gospel of John. And so we're, we're very close to the death of Christ. And so uh, that's noted in our text as well. 
uh, that he had not yet been glorified. Uh, He had not yet died and raised and been ascended and seated at the right hand of God. That glorification had not yet taken place. But it is on the great day of the feast. The feast is set before us in Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, beginning with verse 34, talks about this feast. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. These are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations to offer an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice, drink offerings, everything on its day. These are the great feast days that God has established. And this day is a great day of celebration and coming together as the people of God in worship and resting from your normal labor as you rejoice together in what God is doing. And in this day, Jesus declares... If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, what did thirst have to do with the Feast of Booths? What did water and thirst? Well, it had a lot to do with it, particularly in the way that the Jews had, and I would submit to you, falsely and unbiblically changed the Feast of Tabernacles. And it is not recorded in Scripture, though that change, but it is clearly recorded in the extra-biblical literature that we have and in the Talmud, and it is assumed that this change took place at about 95 B.C., 95 years, 100 years before Jesus came into the world and before he made these kinds of prophecies. So what were those changes? It came out of uh, the the Jewish people uh, declared their changes to be uh, appropriate because of Isaiah 12, verse 3. Isaiah 12, verse 3, uh, which uh, declares this. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. And so, based on that, uh, the Jews decided that they should have a huge point of uh, celebration on this feast day. And they would, the high priest would go on the great day, like the eighth day of the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, they would, take, they would go through the city in a great procession and they would go to the, uh, the pool of Siloam and they would draw water out and the people would all be rejoicing and, uh, and, the, and they added to the feast this, this great uh, uh, kind of a 
like a parade they added to the feast day. And as the priest is going to gather the water, and Jesus declares, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Don't go after the high priest in, as it were, following the example of Nabab and Abihu and adding strange fire and in this sense a strange water to the the Feast of Tabernacles. But come to me. And there was a sense that, uh, uh, that we have, and in in the, we know that in the wilderness wandering, what did God provide? He provided water from the rock. And 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4, uh, makes that abundantly clear in these words. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ." And Jesus takes this imagery and he takes the the thing that's in the mind of the people on the Feast of Tabernacles, namely this this ceremony that uh, involves water, and he says, come to me. Because that was the original point of the prophecies and, and of the feast. They were all pointing to Christ. And so Jesus says, come to me. The Holy Spirit is promised to a specific, uh, with a speci- in a very specific time, and it is this Feast of Tabernacles. And it's promised to a specific people. The promise says, come to me, come to me. It is promised to this specific group that is coming to Jesus. The outpouring of the Spirit is promised to those who look to Jesus and come to Him because they are thirsty and they know they're thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And people of God, this is in some ways an evangelistic message because once you come, there's an initial coming. And once you come, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So once you come, you have the Holy Spirit. You have a a source of living water springing up from within. But it is those who are thirsting that come to Christ. And we know, of course, from many other points of Scripture that one thirsts for Christ and one comes to Christ because of the work of the Spirit and because of the grace and the mercy of our God. So God is the one that gives them this thirst desire. And so they're thirsty. And they, their throat is parched. I, I've been working outside quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, and, and sometimes I forget to take my water out there. Not a good idea. You need to have water. And when I don't, when I don't have my water there, my throat gets parched. My, my, uh, my mouth is parched. I, I, I need water, and I, and I go to the house and... And if I'm wise, I go sooner rather than later, and I drink, because you need that water. And when you get that water, 
that quenches your thirst. We live in a world that's all dying of thirst, but they don't all know they're dying of thirst. And Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him come to me. And so the promised Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit is connected to those who come to Christ. Those thirsting for the Spirit, thirsting to be filled because they know they don't have what they actually need to live. Just as we we need water to live, we need the Spirit to live as Christians, as believers. We come to Jesus. This is the great call of the gospel that we would come to Christ. And so it is the gospel that we would continue to proclaim. All ye who are labor and are heavy laden, come to me. All you who are thirsty, come to me, desiring this water of life. And believe in me, he who believes in me, verse 38. So it is those who are coming to Christ, those who are believing. He believes. This now is the present tense. It's an ongoing thing. Once we we see Christ, once we come to Him, we believe in Him and we continue to believe in Him. We continue to trust Him alone as Savior, as provider, as life giver, as spirit giver. That same imagery is in Revelation 22, verse 17. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And we come and we believe in Jesus Christ. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We trust Him. We have an absolute confidence in Him. A faith that is itself a gift of grace but it's a faith that we exercise and is focused on Christ. And the Holy Spirit is then given and poured out. He who believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then within our own heart, there will be these rivers of living water. We no longer need be parched or thirsty, but Christ is pouring it out. And now there's this expectation that this pouring out is something different than what has been in the past. The Holy Spirit is present in the Old Testament, without a doubt. He's present, but not poured out in the same way as the New Testament. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament is poured out in a way that that is far greater. So we know that there are numerous passages, and we oftentimes think of Joel, and we will look at that in a moment. But I would like you to reflect on another verse that talks about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the coming of Jesus Christ, and it's from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, 
And I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land. And I will shake all nations. And they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now when did Haggai prophesy this prophecy? Verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, that's the feast of tabernacles. On the great day of the feast of tabernacles, Haggai prophesies this prophecy. And he declares it to the nations. And he says, there's going to come a time when when there's going to be a temple that's filled with glory and it will be the desire of the nations. It will go out to all the nations. And one of the critical elements of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people of God, is this. That the gospel goes forth to all the nations. Some 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus... And the people of God exist. They continue to exist. But people of God from the time of Jesus to time now, some 2,000 years, the people of God exist in tribes and nations across the whole globe. The Spirit is poured out. And the Gospel goes to every tribe and nation and people and tongue as the whole history of the book of Acts is about. That pouring out and the going out. And that's what Haggai is looking here. And the desire of the nations will be for Christ. All the thirsty of all the nations will come to Christ. And of course we know that that temple. That is greater than the temple. That God had physically in Jerusalem. Is first and foremost Jesus Christ who said in John chapter 2.19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And that temple that is Christ is now the temple that is connected to all the people of Christ. So that the church is the temple of God and the dwelling place of the Spirit as Haggai. 550 years almost to the day before Jesus prophesies on that feast day. Haggai prophesies on that feast day. That God would fill the temple with the glory of His Son. So that we might be filled with the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit. Knowing peace between man and God. This is the promised Holy Spirit. And this is the one that Christ promised. Not rivers of living water, but the living water, of course, our text says, a reference to the promised Holy Spirit. But he spoke concerning the Spirit. The Spirit who who is illustrated by water. Water flowing from that rock in the wilderness. Now that water flowing from Christ to His people. And the Spirit then is that one that comes to all those who thirst, all those who believe in Jesus Christ. So there is no such thing as a a spiritless believer. 
One of the first challenges I had in the army as a professing Christian was a declaration to me by a number of people within the chapel community in the army base in which I served. And in that base, they said to me, they said, do you have the Holy Spirit? And I really had had hardly any, certainly no personal exposure to a teaching that said anything different than I had the Holy Spirit because I was a believer. So I, without even thinking, I just said, well, I already have the Holy Spirit. Well, they said, well, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I said, well, I got the Holy Spirit. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I didn't even know what they were talking about, really. They were talking about the theory that there's a second type of Christian, a second blessing, a second pouring out. No, Jesus says that every believer has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the water of life flowing within them, or you're not a believer. There are some radical Pentecostals who say, unless you have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. Well, those radicals are right. They're just wrong in all of the evidences of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out upon every single believer. Now, we don't always act like we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But we have that gift of God poured out upon us. And so Jesus was speaking concerning the Spirit. Verse 39, whom those believing in Him would receive. Now, those believing in Him might receive. Those believing in Him could receive after they sought for a second blessing. No, they would receive the Holy Spirit. Without a doubt. In every circumstance. The Holy Spirit would be given and poured out in such a way that every single New Testament believer is a prophet, priest, and king anointed with the Holy Spirit. And so we see that result in one sense is just this, the global outreach, the global reality of the church of Jesus Christ this outpouring upon all nations. And so, people of God, are we as a people of God dependent upon, are we looking to Jesus Christ? And you will receive, but was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was absolutely dependent upon the glorification of Jesus. And he was not yet glorified. And we know what that means. He had not yet died. He had not yet been the Lamb of God who would take upon Himself 
the sin of his people. He had not yet suffered and died on the cross. He had not yet been raised from the dead, glorified. He had not yet ascended into heaven, glorified. He had not yet been enthroned at the right hand of God, glorified. But he has now. Jesus has been glorified. And he remains in glory. And we get a picture of that glory in various passages of Scripture. And we marvel and we rejoice. We serve a risen Savior. A glorified Savior. But that glorification was not yet. That was very close. It was not yet. Christ had to complete his work in order for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. That's what it says very clearly in our text. We could not have the Spirit apart from the glorification, the life, the death, the suffering. You can't have the Feast of Booths without the Day of Atonement. You have to have the Day of Atonement. You can't have Pentecost without the Passover. You have to have the Passover. And then not just the Passover, but the the glorification of Christ in His resurrection, ascension, and enthronement, and continuing rule. For Christ remains the glorified one. And so, people of God, the Word of God sets before us that great glorification in Acts chapter 2, or the the outpouring after the glorification in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. We'll read selective verses from Acts 2. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each other. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then in verse 15. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour. This is Peter speaking, of course. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So we see that same theme in Joel as we see in the prophecy of Jesus in John chapter 7. And verse 32, verse 32. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. There is the reality, the poured out spirit. And then the final declaration. And then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. May that promise be continued proclaimed. May the promised Holy Spirit be experienced. And may we rejoice in the gift that God has given us. A poured out spirit. Whereby we have rivers of living water flowing from within. As we look to our glorified Lord and Savior. To lead us and to guide us every step of the way. Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the reality and the fulfillment of that promise on Pentecost. And we thank you for the fulfilling of that today in the life of your people. O Father, may we rejoice in that. May we glory in it. And may we, O God, be led and guided by the Spirit. May we, O Lord, exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. May we walk in the Spirit as we look and believe in Jesus, seeking to serve and honor you, our Father, to the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we ask this all in the name of our glorified Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.